0: Welcome, welcome. This is My Recovery, part of the Much loved Family. My name is David, and I'm an addict. Today's episode is going to be a great one. We have a man that has helped shape my recovery. When I first heard him share part of his story, I knew I wasn't alone. He gave me hope that I too could make progress in an area I had long since accepted would not be part of my life. He has also helped me stay connected to our group through the act of service. He helped show me the way and has continued to provide guidance through the years. I'm excited for him to share his story, his experience, strength and hope, my friend, Jim.
1: Thank you, David. So I'm Jim I'm an addict, and um, yes, I want to thank you for having me do this, um, or asking me to do this, because I am a firm believer, you know, they talk about like the newcomer's most important, important person, and they, the next part of that is, is because we can only keep what we have by giving it away. So I know that every time I share uh, my story, my truth, my recovery, um, it helps me uh, cement uh, the gifts that I've been given. And uh, you know, uh, it just puts me in a better space. And so it's really how the most I can do to um, get better, continue to get better. So thank you for this opportunity. Um, so my, you know, my story begins, I grew up in Upper Peninsula, Michigan and a small community uh, out in the country, um, basically working the farms, you know, we had a little acre of land and um, so I didn't, we didn't own a farm, but that's what the type of work that I did is the type of environment that I grew up in, um, cheeseheads up the Packers, you know, so um My first memories of uh, using and abusing uh, drugs is um, as a child, you know, I would go to parties with my parents. Uh, It was almost like another era, you know. um, So we're looking at, you know, the 60s and uh, they were, you know, uh, already in their 40s and 50s. So it was a very old-fashioned environment and uh, but we would go to parties, and everyone would be drinking, playing cards, and uh, I would just go from one adult to another, and and uh, you know, getting sips of their their alcohol and their their drinks, and basically until I would pass out, and they would think it was cute, you know. But uh, that's my first memory of using a drug to fit into the environment and uh, using it to excess. Um, by the time I was ten, um, I was basically getting drunk uh, every weekend uh, with my siblings and neighbors. Um, And again, until until I would pass out, until excess, and then um, by the time I was 14, I was getting high every day. Um, At that point, uh, any type of drug, anything that was in my environment, anything I'd get my hands on, I was using. Uh, I went from like a straight A student. So, and then I kind of point out like milestones in in my life. there's milestones in my decline, and there's milestones in my recovery, you know, my, uh, my way back. Um, so by the time, you know, I'm 14, I went from being like a straight-A student, you know, uh, vice president of middle school, you know, just very social, very outgoing, uh, nicknamed Smiley, I mean, I was just that person. And then... Um, very quickly went to, um, my name was Buzz, you know, I had like five friends, and we all got high together every day, you know, it's like a very antisocial, very uh, progressively more and more alone, and lonely, and confused, and isolated. Um, I know, uh, today, I know a big part of that is, not only my disease, but my sexuality, but at the time, uh, you know, didn't use that. I didn't know what sexuality was. I didn't know what gay was. I didn't know anything other than confusion and, and fear. Uh, and then there was something different. I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't know how to fit in anymore. Um, and then of course, by the time I'm 17, um, getting arrested, uh, DUIs and, um, you know, at first it was minor transporting alcohol, then 18 was DUI. And by the time I went to service at 20, I had a couple of DUIs and I got a couple more in the military. So, you know, there was a natural progression. Um, After working in the factory for a few years, I went into the military and I did well at first. Uh, I continued to decline internally, Um, you know, um, just remained kind of confused and isolated. Um, But I did well as far as, you know, uh, command, you know, as far as uh, rank and things like that. So I made staff in like five years. But um my disease was becoming more and more prominent. You know, the the way that I used and the behaviors that I um that came along with it um finally caught up to me. Um and I was court martialed um, basically for sodomy for having sex with a guy. And um I just remember how difficult it was like uh processing number one this somehow makes me this criminal. I went from being like a the guy they re-enlisted for, gave him $20,000 to the guy that was discussing in the piece of shit just overnight, you know, just because they, basically they found out, you know, they found out who and what I was. And so it's like, that was the kind of fear that I hung on to for many years after that is like, if you know who I am, you'll reject me. If you know who I am, um, you'll see everything that's wrong with me. And um, so Don't let anyone know who you are. Don't let anyone close. Uh, And I went from believing, you know, as a child, I grew up Catholic. You know, as an altar boy until I was 14. So I had a a firm understanding of what God was, and my understanding uh, was that God hated me for who and what I was. Um, And I knew, like, I did Bible study and stuff when I was in – they put me – they convicted me in the military and put me in prison. And um, I did, like, uh, Bible study when I was in there, and it just – kind of confirmed, you know, what I believed about um how I was no good and and I was ashamed, you know, things like that and and I would ask, you know, ministers, you know, um how to make sense of it and, and some would say you well, to, you know, you don't have to take the bible literally, and others would say, no, you know, you know, you're condemned if you don't change, you know, things like that. So, um that's pretty much how I felt. You know, by the time I got clean, I felt condemned, I felt isolated, I felt um there was, I knew I was powerless. Um, when I was in the Army, I used to um, be what they call drug and alcohol NCO. So I would actually put people into programs, which I knew nothing about. You know, they would come to me and then tell me what, they're, you know, what they've been doing, and they're like, do, do you think I should get help? And I'd always be like, no. you Because know? <laughs> in my mind, it's like, you ain't done nothing. You know, it's like you were not nearly as bad as I was. Um, and I realized today, you know, I wish I could help them better, but... Um, but I would also tell them, you know, if you if you go in and you uh, have problems, they'll put you out, you know, they'll kick you out. But if you go into the program, or if you wait till they put you in the program, it, it's like you get a second chance, you know. So anyway, um, that's all in hindsight. You know, it's like uh, it's just kind of ironic that I, I was the guy um, who did the piss test and did the urinalysis, you know, who, who signed people up for these programs, uh, but didn't have a clue and needed it more, probably more than anyone. Um, so after I got out of the military, um, you know, with my bad conduct and, and uh, court martial in prison and all that, I just, you know, I was at the lowest, um, that I thought I could be, <laughs> you know, the, the worst was yet to come, you know, cause now, um, I'm basically running the streets, picking people up and, um, just, you know, abusing drugs and, and um, acting out as a sex addict and, um not knowing how to fit into society at all and uh then got introduced to crack cocaine and um you know the end was near you know it's like uh it was a quick downward spiral from there you know everything i had went to to, uh using um to getting more um until finally you know i I mean the whole time i became more and more suicidal i I really didn't see a way out I, i i was you know, all I wanted to do was stop, was my, for that, for my life to change, you know, for that part of my life to end. I used to dream that they would break in the house and arrest me, just just the crazy things, you know, it's like, but um, my life didn't matter. I would run the streets, people would be like, you're crazy, you know, you're going to get killed out here. I'm like, I don't care, you know, um, until finally I just kind of like... Uh, I think it started actually with a commercial on TV. I saw this commercial, you know, where they crack the egg and think you have a problem, call this number. So I call and I go in and they're like, uh, you know, did you bring your toothbrush? I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, They're like, will you stay here? I'm like, I can't do that, you know. Uh, But the next day I was back and I stayed there for two weeks. And so it was the first time I remember leaving my home thinking um, I'll stay clean. I will be clean the rest of my life. I, I actually believe that, and so far it's held true, but I actually believed coming in that I could stay clean no matter what because uh, I was just that low, that desperate, and that, um, yeah, you know, uh, in search of, you know, uh, I don't even want to say committed because it's not like, you know, I believe that my willpower kept me clean. I just believe my, my fear, you know, and my desperation kept me clean for a long time until finally my recovery did. Um But, you know, in that regard, I've been fortunate. So I knew leaving my home to go to treatment for two weeks, uh, I will stay clean. um, But I will be miserable for the rest of my life. Nobody can help me. You know, I am such a lost soul, you know, all that. And um, so I remember, you know, coming into the rooms and... uh, Hang, hang on to that belief, you know. Uh, going to my meet, first meetings, it's like, these people, they can't help me, you know. They've never been sick like I have. They've never done the disgusting things that I've done, you know. Um, They've never had a God that hated them, you know. So all these things that, like, reasons why I couldn't recover, but you could, you know. So it's not like I didn't believe they were getting better. It's not like I didn't believe that they were healthy, joyous, and free. You know, the, the things that they would talk about, Um you know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, I didn't believe they were staying clean. I did believe they were clean because I was clean. I just didn't believe they were um, that I could be like them. And and it took me a long time. I used to go to agape retreats. Um, so I did a lot of AA, CA, um, all the 12-step fellowships, you know, um, uh, SLA. So I did all those at first because um, because, number one, I fit into every one of them. But number two, I didn't know where I needed to get the help that I needed. So I went from, you know, believing that um, this program or none of these programs could really help me. They were just a safe space, you know. Every night, whenever I went for an hour, I was safe. I wasn't at home with, with crack addicts knocking on my door and saying, come on, Jim, let's do it again. Let's do some more. To Or um, me picking up people off the street and bringing them into my home environment, you know, that was um, unhealthy, you know. So I... Uh, getting away from my unhealthy life, um, from the disease that still exists. I wasn't getting high, but I was still living in my disease and, uh, it was still a very scary, um, life for me. And, um, but I, you know, that one hour a day I, I stayed, you know, I went to my meetings and, uh, I participated. And so I didn't have a whole lot of hope. Uh, didn't have any, then I went to, I didn't have a whole lot, but, but around, I remember like around 90 days clean, um, I would read my serenity book every day, you know, uh, just for today. And uh, one day it was about serenity, and I just imagined what that would feel like. Because even that night it is clean, I lived in total, complete chaos. Um, it was always the wheels were always turning. It was always what kind of, you know, what am I going to be doing when I get when I leave this job, or, you know. Um, just a lot of sickness, a lot of uh, fear, and just a lot of all the negativity. Continue, it would overwhelm me daily, uh, twenty-four hours a day. And um, so I was reading the book, you know, on ninety days clean. And I had a moment like, uh, "What would it be like to be serene?" You know, and I just imagined it, and it felt it, and it's like, "Oh, okay, I want that." You know, um, so I began, and then I began to hear my story in the in the meetings. Um, you know, say if you stick around long enough to hear a story. I didn't hear all the details of my life. Um, uh, in time, I did. But, at the, you know, I didn't hear all the details initially about the things I had done, but I felt all the ways that I felt. All the hopelessness, all the shame, all the guilt, you know, all the fear, everything that I felt that prevented me from getting better, I began to hear others talk about, uh, and they got better. So I began to understand that, yes, actually this program could work for me. If I continue to stay clean, if I continue to work these steps, um, I might have some hope. But I went – you know, I always talk about the first time I saw the steps, they were up on the wall. And, and I looked at one, it's like, okay, one's done. I can, One is, you know, being powerless and unmanageable. And it's like, okay, that's the, I understand that. It's exactly where I'm at. But that explains me, actually. I actually felt relieved when I followed the first step. It's like, okay, uh, that explains how I've been living my life and why I feel the way I feel. And then I said, okay, can't do two, can't do three. Um, because, you know, anything in reference to God, 7-Eleven, you know, um, I could not— I just knew there was no way through those uh, that I was going to be able to process those steps. And then, you know, of course, four, I thought, well, you know, I was such a victim, you know, that would be easy. You know, it was, everything was done to me. It's not what I did to others, but that wasn't true. So so anyway, um, you know, at 90 days clean, they made me GSR and NA. So I was doing all the fellowships, but NA it really got me involved in service. So I was, GSR at the end of the day is clean, I'm going to meetings, I'm getting a glimmer of hope that, you know what, um, at least if I stick around, I don't know if I'll ever be as haf- happy or as free as what I see these other people being, but my life will get better. You know, I'm not going to be miserable, I'm not going to be doing all the things that I had done before. Uh, even though for many years clean, I began, I, a lot, there was still a lot of unhealthy behaviors that I portrayed. So um, but I stuck and stayed, and I just kept doing the deal um, for years. So finally, you know, after a year or so, I had to do that second step. And um, I finally let go of, um, you know, people would always tell me it, it, the word God is not in there. Even I would tell them, well, I know what you mean by, you know, higher power. But they would say, well, it doesn't say that. You know, you can t- develop your own. So I used the program of recovery, I used the fellowship. Um, the you know the people that were um, doing everything they could to welcome me and, and um, offer me love and acceptance, I used that as a higher power, um, you know, um, like a new way of life, and um, and I got hope that you know if I just stick stick in this stay in this process, things will get better. But then when I got to the third step, uh, it was a struggle, and it took me a couple more years of going to meetings and raising my hand and, you know, how how did you develop an understanding of God? You know, what is your relationship with God? And for some people, it's very easy. They um, came in here with a loving God, and and it worked for them, and, you know, they continued to have it. And for me, you know, that wasn't the case. Um, I knew, thought I knew exactly what God was and how God thought of me. Uh, until finally, I left the meeting one night and just kind of very frustrated, and just kind of um, talking to myself and saying, um, "I don't understand." And uh, it was like a literally a light going off of my brain. You know, I could picture it almost. Um, you know that uh, now you don't understand. So it's like everything you've come to believe, everything you've been taught as a child, or um, you know, did you? told yourself you know over the years does not have to be true it's only your understanding like nobody knows if you knew what god was you wouldn't need faith that's my belief you know it's like uh nobody knows what god is you know i don't you know you may have a personal relationship but uh you know i haven't seen god other than feeling and um you know looking at life you know there's god you know but it's not like god sat down to me and said okay this is what i looked like this is who i am this is what i think about you but it's like, you know, the things that I told myself, you know, were unhealthy and, and um, basically destroying me. So, uh, and so and when I finally understood, it's like, okay, because I believed it didn't make it true. And even today, even, even though I have a healthy relationship, I have a loving God of my understanding, it doesn't make it true, but it's, but it's a tool that I can use that works, you know, for me. Um, so, anyway. That was the beginning of uh, redeveloping my understanding of God that uh, whatever I believed up until that point did not have to be true just because I chose to believe it I, you know so I would just start develop you know the good early direction um, god 's will for me to be happy, joyous, and free, all these you know positive things that people were telling me and and I, perhaps I think in more ways than any um, it was the people in the rooms that introduced me to a loving god it 's like um, the more I would reveal who I really was, because, you know, even with years cleaning, like a few years cleaning, I was keeping to myself a lot because I was still afraid if people knew what I was doing or, you know, the thoughts that I had and the behaviors that I had, they would reject me. But eventually I began, uh, overcame those fears and just got into sharing with people what was really going on with me. And all I got back was a lot of love and acceptance. And, and that changed me. And that introduced me to a loving and accepting God. You know, it's like... um I, you know, I just came to understand that, you know, God would, I used to believe that, you know, God made me this person that was unacceptable, that, that which made no sense. It's like, you know, God wants me to be exactly who I am. Otherwise I would be someone else. That's how I look at it today. You know, it's like, uh, so I, I developed this whole, um, grand idea of what God is, you know, that the, the you know, the creator of the universe, like, um, and, and I, I know when I share, I get off topic or I, I go on s- schemes or whatever, but, I used to go home at night and I would look at the stars and it's like, what are those? You know, so I actually took this class, uh, astrology or astronomy or whatever, that talked about the stars and how the earth is made of stardust and how the universe is formed and you know, what it's made of and just the billions and billions of stars and galaxies and all that. And it's like, um, and I began to understand that, you know that's all really I am. It's like my body is a billion atoms, you know, and they're all doing the deal, and I hope they do it. You know, if I treat them, if I treat my body well, maybe them atoms will function properly, and, you know, I won't get cancer or whatever. But it's like, uh, you know, I want those atoms to, to uh, live in harmony and do their purpose, you know, within my body. But it's not, so, so as much as I want to love those atoms and, and uh, I those atoms belong to me, I don't have, like, control over them. You know what I mean? It's like, so that's how I view God. It's like, you know, God is the universe, and uh, God created this earth. God created me. God created everything in the universe, but that's just the body of God. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, and and I think God wants, you know, all the universe to, um, because it continues to grow just like a body, but, you know, God wants the universe to live, you know, be in harmony, the earth to be in harmony, and the humans to be in harmony with the earth. So it's, you know, he wants all life to be loving and um, whole, you know, and things like that. So I just wanted to, I, it's like I tap into that. I tap into the universal creation. I tap into the universal love and acceptance. I tapped into what's right in the world, you know, and that's kind of like me, um, uh, uh, finding, a loving, and accepting God. Uh, God that loves me unconditionally. It don't matter. God don't give a fuck what I do. God don't care. Um, I care. But, you know, God's not going to love me any different no matter what I do think, say, or feel. You know, n- none of that matters about how God feels towards me. It, but it does matter how well I feel towards myself. And it does matter about um, how the world may perceive me. It also matters how that doesn't mean God wouldn't prefer me to do, uh, to be loving and kind, you know, things like that, happy, joyous, and free. So, all you know, all the things that God would will for me became more of my own true will. You know, I no longer wanted to do things that were hurting me, destroying me, and, and hurting others. I wanted to do the things that were um, helping me be free free of my disease, free of my um, fears, you know, free of my angst, free of all the negativity that controlled me for so long. So, and and you know. For me, um, there's no question that that freedom came through working the steps. So, you know, um, and I believe <laughs> I could stand here, I could sit here and share it with you for an hour, but nothing's going to be more important. I believe than telling you how I work the steps, because, um, if that's the program of recovery and that's what changed my life more than anything that in the fellowship, a uh, loving fellowship. So, um. You know, I talked about step one, and uh, my introduction to it was very freeing—or can I use that word again? But very um, easy, really. It, I, I, like I said, I—it was beat into me before I got here. Um, I wanted to stop using drugs at any cost, even my own death. I didn't care. I just wanted it to be over because um, I was powerless. So I understood that when, as soon as I read it, I understood what it meant to be powerless to this disease. And I understood how unmanageable my life was. My life was a complete chaos, you know, because when I wasn't using drugs, I was using sex and I was running the streets. I was just all this insanity and all the insanity that comes with it, you know, comes with it. So, you know, step one was like a no brainer, like over the years that obviously um, I see more aspects of it. Uh, I see more truth to it. yeah, so it has you know different flavors, and you know I can I can apply it to to different things, um, even watching TV or eating or whatever it is, uh, obsessing about things. But I knew from the beginning, you know, that I was an addict from the from the when I first walked into these rooms and what that meant for me. Um, and then finally, with step two, like I said, I got the hope that um, this program was a higher power for me. Um, it was a it was a new and better way of life that. Um, was leading me in the right direction, so I wanted to follow. You know, turn my will my or not turn my will, but to to be a part of that. Um, I came to believe that this program could help me, and then in step three, I finally, uh, the. I shared with you this before, but at four years clean is when I finally found a loving God. When I finally, you know, put my hand down and said, "I don't understand," and and just reformed the whole belief to one that worked for me. And um, I have thirty three years clean now, and that belief has not changed. Uh, it may be tweaked a little bit, but I found a loving God and the love has been with me ever since. That's cause it's like, you know, it's my belief, (laughs) you know, the only way it can go away is if if I choose to stop believing it, you know? Um, so I, you know, and I don't believe a lot of what other people believe, but I allow them to have that belief. I used to be very, um, anti, uh, religious, you know, especially Christianity, but, uh, now it's like, whatever works for you, just don't force it on me, um. In the same way, I would not want to force my beliefs on anyone else. Um. But I'm grateful, you know, and like I said, ever since I uh, reformed my belief, uh, I've been able to hang out to it and live in that love, live, live in that understanding that God loves me unconditionally. So I wake up every day. That's the first thing, you know, on my mind, something, almost subconsciously. Now, like I, this morning when I woke up, that's the first thing on my mind. I'm just thanking God for the life that I've been given. You know, and I'm thanking God for the love that uh, that has been shown to me because it's all so far from what I ever hoped possible, you know. Only thing I hoped for was that I might get to stay clean, you know, to have this whole world uh, open up to me um, in a whole sense of uh, being a loving human being and being loved by an, uh, you know unconditionally by a, by a God and and by others even um, that was very foreign and very um, almost difficult for me to to accept but uh, I have accepted it and I, and I, I am eternally grateful for it. And then uh, and working the fourth step, fortunately, because I found a loving God, and I realized it took me a long time to work the steps. You know, I was no 30-day wonder. Um, but at uh, uh, Four Years Clean, I'm working the fourth. And I may have even started the fourth step before I had a full understanding of God. But, but at some point, I knew whatever God might be, I wanted that. You know, so I was mo- moving in that direction. Uh, so when I began the fourth step, um, and I began looking at myself. I really saw how much I manipulated people, how many people I hurt just by my absence, just by uh, keeping everyone at a distance in my life. Uh, you know, for years, my parents didn't know, you know, really how I was, and you know, and what was going on with me, and um, the thing, you know, I had stolen, and of course, and, and just uh, the, you know, the lies, dishonesty, and just uh, all the people that I abused, you know, from the street and the things that I did with them. So it's like. Um, I really began to see who I was, but I wasn't afraid to look at it because, number one, I already knew. This was not new material. You know, I knew these things about myself. I just never really put it down and processed it. And number two, because now I had a loving God, I realized it was okay. You know, whatever it was that um, I was looking at, I knew I wasn't alone Um I guess on a spiritual level, uh, you know, it's like, I I knew that it was okay for me to have been that person. And now I'm moving into a different person. Um, and what I really, for more than anything, I think the fourth step taught me was tolerance and, um, and, and and I remember when I when I was working the 4 step, I used to share this like I I was I had this job where I would fix computers at a, a company in Sarasota, and I would walk you know with my cart, and I would go to a desk and fix the computer. And it was one day there was this one uh, person who was just a complete asshole, I you mean he just they just it was like a couple of them there but the one guy in particular just treating me like shit and i remember just walking away from that experience and with my (laughs) pushing my cart and thinking god loves you god loves you because that's what i used to have to do back then you know i I would just walk around every day just tell myself god loves you you know to to, to convince myself you know uh which worked um but it's like god loves you god loves you and then now sudden it's like well god loves him too you know it's like um it's not like you know, God doesn't like distribute love. You know, um, who's worthy and who's not, who's right and who's wrong. You know, and I do believe a lot of religions would have you. You know, that that's part of their beliefs. You know, if you don't do, say a certain thing or believe a certain way, you you are condemned. But um, no, I think you know God loves us uh, unconditionally. So that God loved that person unconditionally as well. And what but what I learned was, you know, all with all my flaws. I don't want to judge anyone, you know what I mean? It's like uh, I shared a lot of shit with people, you know, that I have done and was still doing in recovery. And they just tried to just love and accept me through that, you know, to show me, you know, that's not all we see, Jim. You know, there's, there's another person here that's growing. And, um, you know, this, this these are also some of the things that you're doing, Um and of course, the other side of that too is they gave me a little tough love it's like you know jim we're tired of you talking about that shit you know either change it or or deal with it but it's like you know we can't fix everything you know so it's like you know you have to um work on that you know so it's like uh, but either way i knew it was all coming from a place of love and um so i was not afraid to get intimate with others you know it's like i was so afraid of getting close to anybody so but now um In the fourth step and, and, you know, after the third step, so I was becoming more and more open with um, my feelings and my thoughts and my fears and all that, and uh, I was becoming more intimate with people and um, because of all the love and acceptance I I had, the fifth step was kind of easy, you know. Um, You know, meet with my sponsor, I share my shit, you know. In the fourth step, um, I used uh, some of the forms. They didn't have the... um, step working guide that they have today in, in Archives Anonymous, but I used the you know the, the forms that they had back then, and it was you know looking at all the different type of defects and how they play out in your life and things like that. So I went over all that you know with my sponsor. Um, I wasn't really afraid, you know. Uh, he did relay uh, some of the similar um, behaviors, you know, th- within himself that uh, would you know kind of surprise me, but um, but then he asked me like uh, you know. Um, I, do you want these defects removed? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, that's step six. I'm like, ah, uh, no, uh, not that quick. You know? <laughs> so it's like, the, my, my thing with, with step six is it doesn't say now. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not asking you, do you want your life to do a 180 on the dot? You know what I mean? It's like, somehow if I say that I'm willing, that it's going to change so much that I'm not going to know who I am or how to function. or you know. So it's, as much as I wanted a new, a different way to live. I didn't know how to let go of everything immediately, so and um, so, so anyway. Uh, no, I, I needed more time. Uh, I needed to really look at what it meant um, to to want to uh, let go. So so finally, I kind of found the, the medium. So no, it doesn't say now, but it doesn't say when either. So if I just say yes, I do want these things removed. I can move forward and with the remaining steps to have them removed. So it's not a, it's not like because I said yes, it's done. It's because I because I said yes, I can move forward and I'm willing to do the work. And that's what brought me to seven. And seven, I will always share that um, my first time working seven. And I haven't. I don't formally go back and rework the steps over and over. But I do try to live them and process them when I need to. But um, when I worked seven. Um, especially since it took me seven years to get through them, but when I worked seven, uh, it was the best time in my life. I probably had about five years clean, and I would go to bed every night imagining my me without those defects, <laughs> imagining you know me being free, imagining me not living in fear, not having that confusion, not being ashamed, uh, which was lessening more and more. You know, uh, just. All that stuff removed and just being at peace with me in the world, you know, in my life. And uh, fake it till you make it kind of thing, you know, they talk about that or act as if. So it's kind of like by imagining what could be, I kept bringing me closer to that being my reality. You know, just like, you know, I would walk around saying, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. I am now going to bed at night. Seeing a different version of me, you know, one that is free of these defects, and and knowing that uh, that could be me too, so you know, and, and I will say, uh, you know, I began to understand like my process, my understanding of my relationship with God changed from, well, hopeless number one, um, to a glimmer of hope, to faith that you know what maybe this or hope you know that maybe this program can work, to faith that you know this program is working for me. Um, And I think it's going to, you know, if I continue to do the deal, it'll continue to work for me to trust. I know this program works. I know it's worked for me. It's changed me uh, more than I could have ever imagined. So I I have complete trust in this program. And in a lot of the people in the program, you know, I know we're all human. So it's, um, you know, I'm never, I'm no longer surprised when anyone does anything, but uh, I after a while, you get to know people you've been with in their life for so many years. So, yes, I trust that they will be there again tomorrow for me to, to, to uh, have that relationship with. But anyway, that's that was my relationship with God, you know, hope, faith, um, trust. So, in seven, you know, um, I didn't believe, like, oh, if I um, turn these things over or humbly ask God to remove them, that it's done. It doesn't you – know, to me, what was most important because part of my process was, okay I, I don't want to believe that God made me suffer that way I don't want to believe that God made me an addict uh, as a child, doing things that nearly killed and destroyed me, that somehow that was god 's will being done, that God just you know let that happen. so I think god's more external than that. you know I think God's more of a source, um, like again, like i don't know what all my atoms are doing in my body um, so it's like uh i began – I looked at the seventh step as um i uh i will hum, i do humbly go to God, but I don't expect God to do it like just in an instant or even like um without me being in that process um so the process is to do things differently you know the process is to work these steps you know again to keep moving forward in the steps, but uh um knowing that i can be I can be changed um so in eight, uh I've already established that, you know, I'm I i was not just a victim. You know, I had a lot of things to make amends for. But I had again, I had no problems. I wasn't I'm at this point, it's like even the unhealthy parts of me, the parts that I'm still struggling to change, I'm in full acceptance of who and I, who and what I am. You know what I mean? Um so I may not know how to do things differently, but I know that I can and I will one day. And I also know that um I'm perfectly okay right where I'm at. And that's actually that's, uh, you know, I wrote down uh, a few notes earlier and, you know, what I got from some of the milestones. And that seven years clean, or in I think it was also during the seventh step, I got a full acceptance that who I am is okay. You know, so no, I'm not the perfect, the person who's free of all these defects you know i'm not the person who has completed the 12 steps or i'm not the person that i am today yeah back then um but i knew that i was okay for the first time even though i had four years clean i had a loving god and i had full unconditional love it wasn't until i had seven years clean where i finally understood that who i am as a human being is perfectly okay doesn't matter what flaws I have, you know, and, and everyone else is too. Everyone is perfectly okay. Um, I think, the, um, sometimes I use the expression perfectly splendid, but th- that's kind of, it's just the things that I would tell myself to find that full acceptance, you know, and that was a big, that was a big, big, uh, growth for me that, uh, I'm okay. You're okay. That whole deal, you, you know, um, but but not just minimally. I, I I I believed it to my core. You know, at this point, that there was nothing really wrong with me. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if I if I do things uh, imperfectly. It doesn't matter if, if I have flaws about me. That's still me being a perfect version of me, if that makes sense. But um, so anyway. It was. I had no problem making my list. I think the military is probably the most difficult one that I had to put on there, because you know I was still kind of had some resentment and and anger towards them. But um, I made my list, and then in the ninth step, I carried it out uh, to the best of my ability. Most of my amends uh, were indirect. Um, Most of the people that I associated with, you know, I wouldn't know how to couldn't find them if I wanted. Um, You know, my life. um, Most of my life was, you know. in different states and countries, uh, you know, in the military. And, and, uh, so back home, I had a few amends with my family, uh, I had a few financial amends with the, with the army and, and maybe a few other uh, places. And I had a lot of, uh, uh indirect amends, which. Number one meant I had to stop doing the behavior that uh, was harming me and others by by running the streets, by picking people up. And um, that's when I finally was able to um, stop that behavior, when I realized that's the only way to make that amend. You know, an amend, um, while I believe in apologies, um, it's important for people to know how you feel, that you feel um, uh, sorry you know, for what you may have done or the harm you may have caused. That's not the amend. The amend is the behavior that uh, – to truly amend, it has to be changed. You know, I think that verbally or um, literally, probably what amend means. You know, to change, or to make to make uh, whole again. So for me, um, the best thing I could do was to stop the behaviors. Number one, I was staying clean, so that that was a good amend. But number two, I had to stop um, treating people as objects and, you know, um, running streets and, and uh, chasing sex and things like that. And, um, I had to be more, try to be more loving with my family and just kind of open to them and open to the people in my life. So just be, um, fix the things that were broken before. So, and I think, uh, I was able to do that in, in a lot of ways and I still, you know, try to do that today. Um, my, norm i'll say is to um isolate a little bit and keep to myself that type of thing but i try to realize that um that i'm not serving anyone by doing that myself or others or the people that i care about so to really kind of have good relationship to people that i care about i need to you know be more open to them so anyway and then uh in ten. and I realize it takes me a minute to go through the steps, but uh, I guess that's the beauty of this podcast, like as long as I want. Uh, so, then, uh, yeah, so now it's like basically, you know, living one through nine on a regular basis, you know, just kind of, uh, I finally got my style of the street clean, they say. Um, now I want to keep it clean. You know what I mean? So it's like, and for a long time, I didn't really know uh, how to do that. Like, what does it mean to live these steps? You know, what does it mean to apply these principles? Uh, So I had to actually kind of like, consciously think about that. And for me, a big part of it is um, you live the principles just by being honest, uh, you know, just whatever principle, being loving, you know, being kind, just, you know, spiritual principles in general. But to, to work the program in your life, uh, it just kind of means like if whatever it is that struggle or thing that has to be worked on, see how those steps can apply. You know, are you being powerless? Are you powerless, unmanageable? You know, have you turned it over to God? You know, have you done an inventory? What's your part? So it's just kind of the process uh the behavior surrounding the situation, you know, and what's my part and and how do I move forward and you know, how do I turn it over and things like that? So I finally kind of got a grip on, you know, how I can work and apply these principles or these steps in my life. Uh, doesn't mean I always do it. But it also doesn't mean I always have to. I mean, in general, my life is good. Um, I live uh, healthy. Um, I can, I'm happy, joyous, and free. You know, it's like I, I don't know how to live my life any better than what I do. Um, and maybe I need to go to bed at night and imagine that, uh, you know, some of these defects being removed again because uh, I've been in a good space for so many years. I've come to take it for granted. So sometimes I think, you know, maybe I do need to kind of um, – Think about, you know, is there really things that I still need to work on? But, uh, you know, that's, I guess that's where 11 and 12 also come in. You know, with 11, um, I do – I constantly uh, seek, you know, God's will for me and, to, and try to develop my relationship, my understanding of God, Um But there hasn't been a whole lot of change in in many, many years, because it just, it works for me. And then in 12, you know, I consider this part of my 12th, but I think how I live is more of a 12th step than anything. How I share with people in meetings that that's good, and that's important, uh, especially to newcomers. But uh, how I live uh, my life, and then when people get to know me, and I kind of understand, you know, uh, where I may have come from and how, what what helped me, uh, that to me is uh, the 12th step in action, you know, as much as anything. Um, so, so I, you know, I've worked the 12 steps. Uh, I'm grateful for everyone, every step and how it changed me. Um, it doesn't make me perfect. It doesn't make me better than anyone. It just makes me better than who I was. And, and, um, that's a friend in the rooms who always talks about, you know, I like to, you know, I can, I need to compare myself to me or whatever. Uh, I just want to be better than what I, who I was. I don't need to be better than anyone else. Um. So I, you know, so I stay eternally grateful. Um I still try to be of some service. Uh my life is good. I you know I got my son out there cutting the grass right now. You know, and I, I guess I didn't talk about that because, you know, relationships, um, I had written them off, you know, early in recovery. I kind of written off that, you know, I'm just gonna be the person that ever has a relationship. You know, if I had people in the rooms that loved and cared for me, I was happy with that. I was that was enough for me. Uh, but then, you know, I got into a relationship. We've been together, uh, 24 years. Um, and then I had a son, you know, 18 years ago and, you know, uh, we have a good relationship with him. So I have a family. Um, I have a network of friends. I have had several careers. Um, I'm in nursing right now, which, uh, I'm 63 years old. So I'm about ready to <laughs> hang up some of those hats, but, uh, by that hat, but, uh, not quite yet. But anyway, it's like, I've been living my life beyond my wildest dreams um, probably since the first year cleaned, you know, and now, like I said, it's, you know, many years later um, I've settled into that life. Um, but I'm I'm always grateful and I always know that I'm loved. So I'm done. Thanks a lot, David.
0: Thank you, Jim. I, I really appreciate you sh- sharing your story. Um, you know, I, there's a second part to this where I, I, have some you know, topics that I'd like to discuss. And that's been the format. But before I get there, I alluded to this at the beginning, that you've given me hope in many areas where I've, I've either beat myself up over or have felt deficient in. So the first one was coming to an understanding of a higher power. And it took me uh, oddly enough four years before that started to develop I, I I'm still not there but it it's it's getting there it, it it's creeped into my consciousness where before it 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 hadn't um and, and you've mentioned things that uh you had you know thoughts of suicide um you know the the pain and misery the uh, uh, obsessive thoughts you know that that's you know I'm I'm still in the thick of it you know I I I but I understand that uh, you know a, as you've described the with your milestones your age milestones that the possibility for those things to fall to the wayside can still happen and it can be realistic to think that I I'm not there yet and I don't need to be there yet As long as I continue to to do things, you know, according to this program, I'll I'll get to there. You know, I I, much much of the amends that I needed to to make were to family, and just as much it was to myself. I I I really and I I I'm not saying this in in any any kind of um, perfect way, but, but. I didn't really hurt a lot of people because I didn't really interact with people in that way. Um, So for me, it was parents and myself. You know, I I beat the shit out of myself for all of these things. And the thought that, you know, as you've described, you you fake it until you make it. So you you kind of just keep pressing through even though they don't ring true. So to me, you know, hearing that as a possibility. That gives me motivation I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's why your story means so much to me. You know, there are dissimilarities, but the similarities are really what what rings true, and, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing that with me. So, the, the the second part of the episode is where I've got some questions that have come from from family, friends, both inside and outside of recovery. And to be honest, a, a lot of them you you touched on and went into to great detail. So, you know, one of them is the significance of sharing your story, and you've described that that's that's the twelfth step. That's so. What did that do for you at the beginning? Meaning, when someone else shared their story, what was it like to you as a newcomer?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for your comments as well, and I just I have to uh, kind of elaborate uh, a couple of things that you mentioned because when you're sharing, um, I kept thinking it's not a possibility; it's a certainty if you keep doing what you're doing. But and I, I'm not one for cliches, but I do believe you're right where you're supposed to be—that type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I'm glad that um, I, that you're sharing that you're we were in a similar process. You know, because mm-hmm. it is a process of recovery. But to answer your question, um, it's actually one of my favorite thoughts. Because uh, I don't hear people really talk about it, but um, to me, I journal. I didn't even I'm surprised I didn't mention this. But I journal a lot. Really, when I when I got clean, I journaled. Well, they taught me that in treatment, but I didn't know how to feel when okay. I came in, so I didn't know what I felt, why I felt that way. So I would journal everything, and I began to. And so that's when I first got in touch with my feelings. So to me. And I didn't share for a long time. I would come to the meetings and I wouldn't say nothing, you know. And then when I did start sharing, it wasn't didn't always make sense. But um, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, you know, to ask, you know, especially as a newcomer, but uh, even today, <coughs> the benefit of sharing, and especially sharing your story, is it, it puts it in perspective and makes it all true. So it's like. Um, I, I can have 100 thoughts in my head, but mm-hmm. once I put it on paper, it becomes more concrete, and I can look at it and understand it. Okay. Same, to me, that's the same thing when I'm sharing, and I, and I kind of alluded to that you know, before I started. The value of sharing, the importance for me to share today um, is it just keeps everything cemented. Um, it's my truth. So I need to be reminded of my truth, and the best way for me to do that is not necessarily always to hear someone talk about it. Is for me to share it, you know. So when I tell you how this program worked for me, I get the benefit of 33 years of recovery just mm-hmm. w- went through my mind in the mm-hmm. last uh, probably too long, but you know however long it took me to share 30, 40, 50, 50 minutes. But it's like um, so I I get. So now I'm, like, on cloud nine again, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm remembering the miserable, hopeless person that came in here and the, the growth. Um, where you've come. And where I've come and where I'm at. So I think in the beginning, I, I only I was fortunate that I always I – had an opportunity to share growth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, th- you know, I talked about that seventh step in one of my best memories, but that was also one of my best experiences in new recovery is when I could come to a meeting, especially like I would go to a retreat. I would show up at my home group and tell everyone, this is what I did this weekend. This is how I felt. This is what I learned, you know, about recovery, about me, about these 12 steps. So it's like anytime I had little milestones of growth to share them with others just cemented it, making it even more true and important and real for me. So I think that that's the importance of sharing especially when you know it, it makes everything more real and not just fo- shit floating around in my head.
0: So it's 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 more to help you grow. But yeah, so part of why I don't share is what can anyone learn from me? <laughs> you know what I I'm so early in recovery what why would I share? What yeah. am I going to tell someone with you know, somebody that has experience, what, what am I going to share of value? So that, that, that's something that's kept me from sharing, but it it changes the perspective when it's not only to share for someone else, but it's to share to, as you mentioned, to solidify things in your head.
1: I, I believe no matter what you share, it benefits you the most, but that doesn't mean others won't benefit. And I think, um, if you've, if you've, the, the, I, have, I have several thoughts going through. So yeah. number one, you know, um, I, I'm a firm believer. I, I don't like just, just share whatever on your mind, especially for a newcomer. I mean, that to me is total BS. Okay. Because number one, because I believe like burning desires should come at the end of the meeting. Because if you have something you're dealing with, you're struggling with, if you listen for that hour, now if you want to raise a topic maybe, but if you listen for that 45 minutes to an hour, you're going to hear a lot of solution. Okay. Because almost everything we talk about, everything, every spiritual principle, every, every kind of guiding idea, you know, whatever, every topic that we tend to, to carry usually can be applied to whatever's going on with us in that t- during that time. But I also think um, no matter how much growth you have with that, you can share it. So, you know, you can raise your hand and say, I have, I don't have a lot of experience with this, but this is what I do have. So, again… Now it's cemented for you, but others get to hear another uh, perspective, perhaps. But even if it's one 30 seconds to a minute, if you share that little piece, it's something they could take home with them too. So you know maybe it's my turn to listen, you know. And, I, and all I needed from you was have 30 seconds to a minute when you talk about um, your struggle or your growth with a certain topic, because it's going to remind me. So even as a, uh, someone who's not in the with experience, I'm getting reminded of my process, how I went through that same thing.
0: How yeah. did you get there? How did you get off off the schneid, as they would say? Like how did how did you finally take the step to share? It, it for me it seems it seems like an insurmountable step. Yeah. Like to to just I know once you start to share, you can keep going, and once you do it a few. Times, you'll be able to do it a few more times. I understand that concept, but that doesn't help me to raise my hand in a meeting. Okay. So, a couple of thoughts. Uh, first,
1: I want to go back to what do I have to offer? Because I was like that for years. I'd be like, well, I didn't have a sponsee. And it's like, because I didn't feel like I had anything to offer anyone. Yeah. Like, you know, I was still um, had some unhealthy behavior. So, I had some healthy thoughts. I was still in the process, you know, all this stuff. But the truth was, I had learned a lot, you know, so even if I'm not there yet or whatever, I'm learning and there's stuff for me to share with others. But as far as initially sharing, um, a couple of things. One was um, I asked a lot of questions and I don't really see that today so much, but my initial sharing was – this is something that I'm looking at. And I'm struggling with. So, it was, I, number one, I was always recovery related. I didn't just say, you know, uh, my job did this, or mm-hmm. you know, this yeah. person did that. You know, uh, it was I'm struggling with this, um, or I'm having a hard time, look, you know, understanding this. So, so I, so if I wasn't. Um, Responding to a topic, I was trying to introduce one to say that this is – I'm really hoping someone can help with this idea. You know, I think that's a good way to – just to raise your hand and say something. Mm -hmm. But I think – I'm just going to get personal. I know you well enough to I know where – and even in our conversations that no matter what we're talking about, you have a thought. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so just to raise your hand and say, this is what I think. It ain't got to be perfect. It ain't got to be mind-blowing. You know, uh, I used to worry about what people think about what I would share. Yes, absolutely. And I'm talking probably more years than you have, you know, that I would go to meetings and still kind of process. I would be more into my mind thinking about what I'm going to say than actually hearing the message sometimes. Uh, I don't do that no more. But I think that's very normal, you know, that people are afraid to put themselves out there and how people might respond.
0: Yeah, I rehearse what I would say before I would say it. So much so that I end up not saying anything because I'm still stuck on how I'm going to present it. Yeah,
1: it, it doesn't come out as natural either. So I think, um, number one, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really, it really doesn't matter. I mean, whatever you got to say, people are being glad to hear it, if not the, in one ear, out the other. You okay. know what I mean? So, what I realized, um, it's kind of like how I lived in general. I was so afraid of what the world thought of me. And I was so afraid of um, what people would see in me. And then what I realized, finally realized was, I'm not that important. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like people yeah. just, they don't give a shit. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, what I'm wearing, what I said, what I did. Most people are not even noticing, let alone caring. Right. Now in the meeting, yeah, we do notice, we do care about what, you know, people who share. But they're not critical, you know. Um It's your truth. All you're doing is sharing your truth. So you can't, and and I guess that's a lesson I learned um, when I was new, we used to do um, 12-step helpline. So we would meet once, uh, once a month, the group would go to the helpline and take calls. Okay. And my first call, uh, you know, but I don't even remember what they were saying, but what I shared about was my truth, you know. And after the phone call, I'm like, uh, Oh God, I hope you know I didn't blow it. I hope they don't right. go use or whatever. And they're like, All you can do is share your truth. You know, it doesn't matter what it sounds like. It Does it? Doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't have to be their truth. It doesn't have to change their world it's just it's Doesn't your truth need to be profound it, yeah it, exactly it, it's all you have to offer is it, your truth and the more you share your truth the more you get accustomed to kind of doing that you know it's like um to realize it's okay for me to just say what i need to say and and we move on you know even today when i when i share sometimes i worry or think about you know are people understanding me i, I do that yeah, a lot it's going to be perceived I, yeah but I'll, even when i'm talking i'm like uh, i don't mean to sound confusing you know i i, I try to uh, clean it up, you know. But um, yes, I worry about how it's going to be perceived. But not to the point where I'm not willing to say it. You know what I mean? So I think uh, I would highly encourage you. Just knowing you, right. like if you were 30 days, I'd be like, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just listen, you know. But no, you have a, you know, I know enough of you in in uh, your mindset to know that you have things to share. And when I have heard you talk, uh, it's been nothing but good. But that, you know, that's not. The important part. The right. important part is it's your truth, share it. And uh we either we get something from it or we don't. Um
0: But you yourself but you, get something from it.
1: Exactly. Uh it's what you need to do as well, right? Not just for us.
0: You you touched on briefly about the question of saying something by sponsorship. At what point did you get a sponsee? Because I someone brought that up to me and I I I what what the fuck am I going to share with somebody? I, I can't share in a meeting. Yeah. I'm going to take someone under my wing and show them the the steps. Right. I've only worked it once. How, what am I going to? Well, then you have worked it So, but, but I, I I just mean I <laughs> yeah. I can't spit them out from memory like mm. like you. And but I I know it, it took time to get there. So a, a couple thoughts. Um, so first off, I remember my one of my first sponsors. Um,
1: he had like six months more than me. Really, but by the time I get to the third or fourth step, we were on the same step. So it's like you know. Um, so I did actually kind of move on from him, but um, he still helped me a great deal. You know what I mean? Initially, as sponsored. My my idea of sponsorship is the whole idea is helping them through the 12 steps. It's not a lifetime commitment, it's not a you know a lifetime relationship, and it's not I'm gonna rule your world like I hear some people talk about. But it's to help them, it's to guide them through the steps. So number one, you've you've worked the steps. And when you guide them through it, you'll be working it again. You know what I mean? So it's not uh-huh. like they're gonna ever get ahead of you because you've already done it. you may have to do it again with them to fully understand it, but you're you're still a step ahead. So for a long time, I didn't think I had anything to offer. So I had probably five years before I had a, a sponsee, maybe even longer. I don't remember now, but and people weren't really approaching me much. I don't know if I was still kind of reserved or what. So I went. I was at a treatment center at a meeting, and I went and offered myself to someone, and we began to work the steps together. So yes, I had worked all twelve by then, um, so I was able to kind of go through with them. But it's really them doing the work and you kind of um, guiding them. Uh, um, so you don't need to be a guru. And that's for sure, right. No. Uh, it's just that you have an understanding of what the step is. And so you, if they're way off course, like this does not even matter here. Right. That's, that type of thing. But it's more just you're an ear. You're just a confidant. You're, uh, you know, a personal, someone they can talk to on a personal level okay. about that pro, that process.
0: You know. See, I... I- because there are, you know, I, there was someone else that is on a different, you know, episode that said that there are 36 steps. <laughs> and that concept, you know, I mean, because of the 12 steps, the 12 um, traditions, and the 12 principles, the, that's daunting. No, you know, I, I, I'm I just ha- gonna say
1: no, and, and, and stop the whole <laughs> thought.
0: So uh, there are twelve steps, uh,
1: there are twelve traditions which apply to the group, and it's good to have a good twelve understanding. concepts. I'm sorry. Yeah, there are twelve traditions that apply to the groups, uh, and that's it's a good to have a um, understanding of them. And, but that has nothing to do with your twelve step relationship with your sponsor. You're not to me again. That's how this whole idea of sponsorship has expanded well beyond how it was developed. Um, and as I, and I say real quick, uh, the 12 concepts are for service. So it has nothing to do with your sponsee. I mean, it's you and your relationship in your service commitments, applying the 12 steps. It's you and your home group applying the 12 traditions. It's you and your sponsee and yourself, especially applying the 12 steps. You, you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the concepts are for service. The traditions are for the group and the, and the steps are for, um, individuals, personal recovery. It doesn't mean you shouldn't know all of them or can't work them together, but that's the only commitment you're making to your sponsee. Okay. Is to help them guide them through the 12 steps of recovery. What they do after that is up to them. You, you know, if you guys want to work on other stuff in my belief. Right. All if right. you want to work on other stuff together, that's fine. If they want to go work the 12 steps again with someone else, that's fine. If they want to go, mm-hmm. you know, into service or you know, um, work the traditions with someone, that's fine. But me, my commitment to a sponsor is the 12 steps of recovery. Okay. And and I, I want to just kind of, since we're talking about that a little bit. Yeah. I had an uncle, um, old school. You know, he was an AA member, and he had 46 when he died. But uh, wow. I didn't even know that growing up. You know, he was in the rooms. But uh, he used to tell me, like, he would go to court, and the judge would assign people to him. Like, you're going to work out for this guy? You know, like, I can trust him now. He's going to be under your care, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like almost like sponsorship back then. You actually help people um, change their life, you know, but it certainly wasn't about um, all of these things that we make it today. Anyway, my belief is the twelve. a sponsorship is to help a newcomer work the 12 steps and nothing okay. else. Okay. It, the, the personal relationships, the commitment, the uh, intimacy, the, you know, the trust, everything that comes with that is great. But the number one tool or, or um, requirement is to work the
0: 12 steps. The, the thought of the intimacy part, that it's kind of funny. I, that was one of the things I had no issue with. I've been in therapy for my entire life almost. So And I actually have multiple therapists. So I'm in a constant state of sharing everything. So I I, I never held back because I'm just so used to it. So that part of the steps was easy. It it was for me, and still, because I'm only at at the point that I'm at, is the, the higher power and the thought of I'm just glossing over certain steps because I don't fully embody or accept the thoughts. So the the idea that there's something that created me for a reason that is so I, I grew up Jewish and for us it was more about traditions for you know growing up than it was the concept of God. I I lost that belief in God when we got to the point of in in history and, and just my learning and World War II and the Nazis. So how could there be a God that is doing things when the concentration camps happened? Yeah. How 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 can that be? So it was at that point done. Yeah. And that was when I was twelve. I'm now forty-three, and I still can't get over that. Yeah. So I, I I know it's not essential, but you know it does say God quite often in our in our program. So every time it comes up, you know I'm I'm giving it a taking the the letters and making an acronym i'm using things that i don't necessarily like using the group as my higher power but it says god so uh, i i know that i can put in different meanings behind it but god is a is a is a key point regardless of of how you believe in it you do believe in something so that that's always been my biggest challenge in, in working the steps
1: one of the things I used to hate um, people say is I'm I'm grateful to be an addict, you know. Um, and I used to think, who, how could I ever be grateful to be so miserable for so long? Absolutely. You know, but um, I do believe if I hadn't been an addict or um, I would have never found the God of my understanding, you know. So, so regardless of anything else, I will always be grateful for having found recovery and for more than anything else for having developed that relationship. So I believe what you talk about is should be everyone's struggle. Really. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's not. That's how that was me as well. It's like, that don't make no sense. The things that I would read, you know, the things that I was hearing and, and the reality of the world and life It's like, doesn't it make any sense. Did God really make these things happen or mm-hmm. even allow them to happen? I mean, what kind of God is that? But, um, I had to develop my own understanding of God to a God that does not do those things. Human beings do. You know, I mean, to me, it's like, we are uh, way too like as a, as a race, as a human race, just way too self-centered, you know, to think that (laughs) that we're the center of the universe and we're the center of God's universe as well. You know, I think we're a speck in the world in the universe of God. You know what I mean? And I think, again, we tap into the higher power. We tap into God and um that loving body, but I don't think the opposite is true that uh and we want so we want to work um again harmoniously lovingly we the best we can do for ourselves is the best we do for everyone if that makes sense um, my best version of uh, of me in my life is helping life in general I I I know I don't make sense but I know the feeling that that comes with it yeah so it, I don't believe, and I, I don't that
0: in of itself the idea for me that one of the biggest takeaways is that I can get there I can get to a point regardless of of what it is at that point but the fact that I can get to the point of being grateful for that relationship that there's some motivation there there's some a little bit of peace, knowing that, that that is a possibility that I can get to a point where I am accepting and, and feel that way, regardless of, of what it is that you feel, but the fact that you can get there, that that gives me some, um, makes me feel a little good inside.
1: Yeah, and I, and it's hard for to, to me to explain, and I don't necessarily even understand it for myself, but it's, it's almost like I... Um, T- i've tapped into an understanding but that god doesn't really con- I, I, god exists god mm-hmm. lives and we're a part of god's life okay um again i always relate it to those atoms because i don't know if those atoms are even aware of me mm-hmm. but even if you know or but i'm certainly not aware of all of them you know i don't right. know what what that one billion one is you know um but I do want all of those atoms to work in harmony to make a better version of me. Okay. So that's kind of how I look at me, the Earth, and the universe. Like um, it's all within the body of God, and God may not be aware of me. Mm-hmm. But if I want to live with harmony with all the other humans, with all this planet, and with all the universe to make a better version of God, almost. Yeah. So it's like um, I think God is everything, but that doesn't mean. I don't believe God, you know, controls, uh, is that concerned with the details of humanity, to be honest. Okay. You know, so I think, you know, I I can tap into that universal power, um, which, you know, I can accept it as love. You know, I think God loves itself, basically. Mm -hmm. So if I'm a part of God and God loves itself, kind of like those atoms, you know, if I love myself, I love those atoms in me. So it's exactly, so it's like... um, and you hear people talk about the God in me. So I just believe that we're all, we all make up what God is because we're all within the body of this universe, you know. So uh, I notice it's, I always feel like when I share that kind of stuff, I'm so far out there. But at the same time, it's where I had to go no, <laughs> to find and, my understanding of God. Which you know, is-, is to get away from all the little details. You is know? the
0: key point, you know, that, that that it can happen. Yeah. And because it can happen, you still have to be diligent about Working the steps because it will come
1: I would love to know how other people may answer that question because that that thinking has been my thinking from the far the same age it's like, that's when I stopped believing in the church and stopped going to church. It's like this doesn't make sense you know what is God that these things could be you know uh, is God really that uh, in control or does it just exist you know yeah, in some which people base? have
0: said uh, a, a life force some people became more religious. Some people were religious throughout. Some people still haven't made that connection and don't feel the need for that connection. Mm-hmm. They've been able to yeah. to use the concept of the group as being their higher power, yeah. and, and that's allowed them. Um, and you know, some people have become more religious in the program, right. which. Is kind of weird to me that you would become that dogmatic during recovery, but uh, that, that's neither there nor there. Right.
1: Um, well, I think we're in the same mindset that, you know, uh, I, I want to allow people to have their own understanding. Exactly. As long as it works for them and doesn't hurt others, you know.
0: Exactly. <clears throat> and so you've you mentioned that one of the things you're most grateful with is this understanding of God. What other things have you become, you know, the the role of gratitude in keeping you clean. What what is that role of gratitude? Because I know that's big.
1: It's everything. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, in the beginning, that was part of my daily journal. Uh, the things that I you know what I was grateful for, and usually it was just I'm you know, grateful to be clean. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I may be grateful for my my homegirl. or you know things like. It was never for me, you know. But now I'm I'm grateful for who I am. I'm grateful for. Um, all the love that I've been giving, the ability to love myself, the ability to love others, you know the, the ability to be a father, the ability to be a husband, you know the ability to be a version of me that I didn't know was possible, that I didn't believe was possible right. and um, I didn't know how good it, it could be. you know I love being normal. You know what I mean, I, mm-hmm. I consider myself perfectly normal. I don't care if, you know, I'm an addict, so what? I'm, I'm a normal human being. I was not normal before I got here. It was, you know, it was a, nothing, very little was normal right. about me. So I consider myself a normal part of society and a productive part of society. And I think if you really get to know people in society, they're all struggling. They're all looking for direction. They're all looking for a better way of life if they don't, haven't already found it. But I won't say, I don't want to say all, but a lot, you know, a lot more than just the people in these rooms, you know, so it's like, uh, so I am grateful, I'm grateful for this program, I'm grateful for all the loving people that have come in my life, and, and I've been around long enough where I've lost a lot of them, you know what I mean? Um, I'm getting older, and some of them have uh, gotten older, and, you know, probably 20 of them have died, you know, mm-hmm. but even the ones I was most intimate with, so I'm losing, you know, a lot of my, my yeah. um, close intimate uh, friends, but Plenty of new faces, you know. All I got to do is, you know, be willing to open myself up to other people. But so just to have that uh, resource, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, So I'm grateful for the fellowship. I'm grateful for the program. I'm grateful for who I am and who I've become and all that's been given to me in my life, you know. So I'm always grateful, you know. and, And... that's what I love about what we're doing right now. That's what I love about when I go to a meeting. Because um, I don't always remember how grateful I am. I, and one, But once I do, I feel, right. you know, like just, you can see me. I know you would see me, yeah. how, how I'm feeling right now. Um, I'm just grateful, you know, just to, because you brought it up. I'm grateful. And that's what I, we we're talking about sharing in a
0: meeting. If you just bring something up, sometimes that's all that needs to be done. It brings it
1: into reality. It brings it into reality for everyone,
0: you know. Uh, so I mean I do my gratitude list in the morning, but and it's a, it's deficient of of something very important that you've mentioned. You know I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to be clean. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my job. I'm grateful for the people I've had in my life. But I never say I'm grateful for me. Yeah. That there there's there's that. And I never really thought of that, that that that's a key point. You know, I'm grateful for who I am. Uh, I I need to incorporate that in, into my daily gratitude.
1: That's really what recovery is. Recovery is none of those other things. I mean, to me, recovery is how I've changed. You know, recovery is the, is who I've become, not just all the things that I do. I can t- people do this using. You know what I mean, right. some of some of these things. You know, father relationships, careers, but change. To me, recovery equals change. I used to have that. I used to have like a little, you know, bulletin or billboard, mm-hmm. corkboard, whatever, of slogans like that. And, and recovery equals change, you know. And there was actually a little poem I had about always who so I am, never what I was, or something like that. Okay. You know, but it's like uh, that's what I'm probably most grateful for:
0: my relationship with God and the change uh, that has happened within me. So one of the questions that that I I bring up, you know, every time is the idea of aha moments. There are moments during your active addiction where I can't live this way anymore. It's an aha moment, things need to change. And then there's aha moments during recovery where you've noticed that things have changed. Can you give examples of you know what when was the time where you realized I need to make this change and when you realized I've made this change. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. So
1: uh, there's a couple aha moments, and it's been a while since I shared my story because I usually would point them out. Um, And not just I'm going to go even like a few more than just ones where I had knew I had to change. But even as a child, um, my well, I'll skip that one. But but, (laughs) my first aha is like uh, as a young adult, and the way I would use. Uh, I would see people like at the end of the night coupling up, you know, going mm-hmm. home, uh, ending the party, the party's over. It's time to go, that type of thing. Not me, you know what I mean? I wanted more drugs. That's all I cared about, you know. Exactly. So I re- I, be- I be- kind of under- began to understand, it's like, okay, there's something different here. Um, I'm using more than other people. So that was a bit of an aha moment. But it was after I lost control where the other aha moment was when I was really doing some of the more disgusting things mm-hmm. that I, I'm not even going uh, right. to speak to, but um, I was just so ashamed and so beaten, you know, by it that um, I just knew this cannot be. Whatever God is, right? Uh, whatever, whoever I'm supposed to be, this ain't it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No one is supposed to live this way. So I got to that point in my life where I just knew no one is supposed to live the way that I was. Okay, now, what was I going to do? I don't know, but I knew this could not continue. This needed to change. Yeah, and this <laughs> needed to change. So that's when I finally, you know, started seeking help and mm-hmm. got help. Um, and then I think in recovery, I, I kind of talked about th- those aha moments too. Like 90 days clean, when I had I focused on serenity and imagined what it'd be like. That was like an
0: aha. Yeah, moment. that that was something that that I, I never, I never really thought of the. Picturing yourself happy, yeah, exactly, and then manifesting it almost. It
1: yeah, it was a it was an eye opening for me. You know, that was a, definitely an aha moment. That uh, um, to just sit there and for that moment, I mean, literally sixty seconds, you know, maybe uh, feeling different. You know, feeling f- I don't want to say free yet, but imagining serenity is what, what I was literally doing right. was imagining what it'd be like to be serene. So that was an aha moment. Uh, we talked about the aha moment I had where I understood, finally understood that uh, I don't know what God is. Mm-hmm. You know, I only know what I was told and what I was taught and what I, you know, came to believe. That doesn't make it true. So that was a big aha moment that, okay, I'm I willing to wipe the slate clean. And, and I think we've talked you know, um, to you about this before. You know, if you wipe the slate clean, now you can put, fill it in with whatever you, you choose to believe. Because it's never going to know if it's true. It, only if it's true for you, you know.
0: And then... Another issue is the the practical things for for people early in their recovery. so I know it's it's been some time, but do, do you still have any triggers do, do, does anything ever trigger you? Uh,
1: no, I mean, I'm not perfect. you know um I might look at some porn or you know I might uh, have negative thinking or thoughts, but I'm never triggered to use drugs right never the, 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 um when did that stop? Oh uh, boy almost from the beginning really yeah i think you know with certainly after a year but um from the very beginning uh like i said uh i was so desperate and so beaten I, I did a complete and i i share this with people a lot they're like how did how were you able to stop using entirely and um i know people even outside the rooms would be like well how do you know i be like well i'll try to stop you know mm-hmm. and if you struggle with that you might have a problem but it's like um, my surrender was so complete that I never um, wanted to pick up again. Now I would put myself in situations. I would pick people up, and they would be getting high around me. You know, things like that. Or I would have. I had a lot of using dreams in the beginning. Or I thought, did I get high last night? You know, what happened? Right. That type of thing. I was kind of out of it, but <clears throat> but I never had the desire to use drugs. One one time, and I didn't talk about this when I shared, but I'll explain. But but basically, over the years, no matter what the situation, I've never had the thought where well, I want to go get high because th- that was pain for me. Th- to use was pain. Now, I might abuse other things, mm-hmm. sex,
0: food. Um, was you know. that your escape? Or the the want to escape because that for yeah. me that's what drugs Not,
1: is. yeah numbing out uh, with TV numbing you know isolation d- those were um, a big part of my disease in early recovery so but I've learned to, to, to get away from them as well you okay know? but I've never really f- sought drugs except for one time when I right before I you know, I told you at seven years clean I like mm-hmm. um, uh, became perfectly okay with me right before that happened though. It's because the rubber was hitting the road. You know, I, I had done this. I was working on the sixth step, and I realized I have to change, make these changes in my life, and I wasn't sure if I could. So I and I just kind of – I was still acting out. I was still running the streets and shit. And so I, would, I woke up one morning, and I looked at myself, and I wanted to get high. For the first and only time in recovery, I wanted wow. to get high. And what I realized was I had not changed that part of my life that was still causing me so much shame and guilt. Okay. So that was like a trigger, but it was also um, the the, the fuse, the the trigger to something better that I was finally – it was another surrender, another level of surrender. So initially I surrendered to the drugs real quick, and uh, I actually didn't believe I could recover from my sex addiction. I knew I could stay clean. That was when you held on to Exactly. So I knew I could stay clean, but I didn't believe I could recover from everything and especially my sex addiction. But when, the, but having worked, when I got to the sixth and seventh step, and what I say again, it was the rubber meets the road. It's either you know to get off the pot and all that, you know. Right. I I realized I had a choice to make. I can either continue to live this way and it's going to c- kill me, even clean, or I have to make the changes, and I made the changes. You know, so I'm, I'm grateful. You know, but that was the one and only time where I felt like I would, I wanted to use because I wanted it all to end again. You know?
0: Okay. And I guess the last one is, you know, it's a it's a parting shot, but it, it it's what what are some common myths and misconceptions about addicts and addiction? I mean, you're in the medical field, mm-hmm. so you've got insight into that.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, one I hear it in the rooms all the time. I hate what they you know they're reading a little preamble or whatever we read, and um, it basically talks about they use the word sick, you know. Uh, I don't even remember what what line it is, but um, I think, anyway, it's in one of our readings, and it talks about you know the, the being sick, and everyone knows how I'm in sick, sick, and it's like no, you know I was sick before I got here, and I might be sick even still in early recovery, but I'm no, I'm not sick. Like it's kind of like I was saying earlier about being normal. I, I'm, cause I consider myself a pretty healthy person, especially you know getting older, so it's like uh, I am not sick. Um, I am free of the um, mood and mind altering substances. I'm free of that obsession to use and to, to um, hide from the world, mm-hmm. you know, all that. So I, I'm no longer sick. And I think people need to realize that because you're an addict doesn't mean you're, you're always sick. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We do recover. And But as far as like in the nursing field, what I usually do see is the people um, not getting clean yet, who's struggling, um, drug seeking, um, uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't challenge them too much. Um, I, you know, they the medication is prescribed, and I give it to them as requested. You know, we're taught that the pain is real. You know, that type of thing. But uh, if they allude to anything recovery related, I will um, kind of bring it Engage. up with them. On occasion, I've even kind of shared, you know, that um, that I'm in the rooms and I've been cleaning oh, really? for a while. I will occasionally. uh depends on who they are and if, what mm-hmm. their experience is. But usually I just kind of say, you know, have you gone to the meetings? You know, are you familiar with the meetings? You know, things like that. And there is hope, you know, just kind of let them know there is a, a new way of life if you're willing to go find it. You know.
0: What about to people that are not in recovery or not addicts? I mean, the... the I'm very open. Uh, no, no, no. Oh. I, I just mean in the sense of it, it's somewhat trite, but you would tell someone that's not an addict or in addiction or in the rooms a misconception of people that are addicts is that we're animals. That we're no, you right. know we're we're people. I mean, right. What would it, be something think, yeah, a, like a, like a lot of
1: nurses? Um, they're not familiar, and so when they do see these drug seeking. Uh, Patients, they mm-hmm. might say, you know, talk about them as being addicts. I have no problems. Let no I'm an addict. You know what I mean? I've been, you know, clean for 33 years. So I was once in the position where I was struggling. So they're, they're, so they're human beings first and foremost. Right. We're all human beings, you know. Um, so I, I try to kind of. I I don't scold them, but I do, and I don't do this all the time, but I do, depending on who I'm talking with, uh, I will try to let them know that a little empathy can go a long way. You Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Just kind of see them as someone who's struggling and not someone who's making your life more difficult or whatever, you know, uh, or not someone you should look down on, you know, just look at
0: that. That's the important thing. You don't need to look down upon it. so,
1: So that's when I reveal that about me, it's only to show them it could be anyone. (laughs) <laughs> and right. it's literally, he's the person you're standing next to, you know.
0: Right. <clears throat> well, uh, Jim, I can't thank you enough for, for being here today and, and sharing what you have. It, it means so much to me uh, to have you share from the heart. Again, thank you, man. I love you.
1: I love you too, David. Thank you very much.
0: And to those listening, much love.